Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, thanks for being with us here again, Dr. Maurice. Um, well, I'm glad to be back for our weekly chat. Yeah, it's always fun. One of the highlights of my week. Yeah, mine too. Well, so, you know, we're all watching the news and thinking about COVID and we're seeing the numbers with a worrisome trend going up in many parts of the United States. And yet we have to worry about testing shortages. You know, even at Mayo Clinic, we're, we're facing the same limitations in supply chain and testing reagents as the rest of the country. I think this clearly shows we need a thoughtful approach with judicious use of testing, but also a strong emphasis on prevention. Um, I think we should talk about that today, and, and maybe you could give us the updates on what you see the state of testing today to be. Yeah, I, that's a, a great topic to cover again, just because I think the last podcast, we talk, or prior ones, we've talked about just the shortage of testing, um, mm -hmm. you know, and why, why that is. We've had such a great increase in the amount of tests available, but it's still not quite enough. So I guess today it's like, what are we doing about it, right? What's, what right. are the plans to address this as opposed to describing the problem? How are we going to actually approach solving it? And yeah, then, and maybe what are some of the new things on the horizon? You know, we're hearing about polling and antigen testing. Um, I mean, we could talk about those as well. Yeah. Well, let's start with the test that does exist right now for the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19, and that's the PCR test. Yeah. It's still the best test that's out there. There's lots of variations, whether it's saliva or nasal pharyngeal swabs or, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, but it's still the mainstay of testing. And really what we are seeing now is a real focus on how do we get as much possible out of the testing capacity that we have. And I, that's really when people think about pooling, that's really what that boils down to. It's actually, as I think about it as a laboratory medicine or a laboratorian, it's counterintuitive to how we typically try and do things. Uh, we always want to be so sure that if we give an answer back to someone, it's an accurate answer. And a big part of that is making sure that the proper test result goes back to the proper patient. So we tend to not mix. Now there's some technologies that we do, but what pooling is essentially is that if we have say, at Mayo Clinic a capacity to do 100 tests in a day, if we could either use those on 100 individual patients or could we maybe combine two or three patients Let's say if we combine three into a single tube, now we can do 300 tests in a day. Of course, we do mm -hmm. many, many more than that, but that's just to simplify for context. Sure. That's really what pooling is about. It's about trying to just get our testing capabilities that we have in this country for PCR to go further. The challenge with that, though, is that it really depends a lot on how many people have COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, because the theory is that if most people are negative, you can combine them into a single tube and it'll be negative. And now, you know, instead of knowing one person doesn't have COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 from a test, you know, know that three or four don't. The challenge though is that if that's positive, then you have to figure out which one of those four people in that tube or three people specimens in that tube was positive, which means you have to run more tests. And so if you're in a situation like we've seen in the Southern states where there's a lot of people that are infected, 
all of a sudden the logic behind pooling goes away because just about every pool is going to be positive. So it's an example of how we need to really think differently as a lab industry or as clinical labs, how we have to work with government officials because of course all the platforms that we would pool on have already received EUA clearance. And so this means we have to rethink it. And then also does it really help? And that's, so that's one method that we are looking at uh, as all labs are even and ours here at Mayo as well in terms of pooling. But again, it's not going to be a one size fits all sorts of solution. It might be applicable in some settings and not others. Mm-hmm. Well, I know there's been a lot of talk on our clinical microbiology listservs amongst our clinical microbiologists about the pros and cons of polling. And as you mentioned, we do polling for certain things. So, you know, blood donor screening, when you donate blood, that test that your blood sample has to be tested for pathogens like HIV and hepatitis B, and that's done by polling. So we know that we have the technology to do this and still be sensitive enough, although you do lose a little sensitivity. So that's part of the question. But also, I think the logistics behind it. How do you make sure that if you are going to mix three specimens together and test them, and one is positive, that you then can go back and test each of those three and have the the ability to do that reliably? Like you said, you know, making sure that that result marries up to the correct patient. It's going to be interesting to see this unfold, but we know that a lot of manufacturers are working on this and it does have to go to the FDA for their emergency use authorization. So I think we're going to see more and more of this. And I do think it's helpful, like you said, that you have to think of how many cases are in your community, because if you test a pool of three specimens and it's positive, then you have to test each individual specimen so you didn't save yourself any time. In fact, you performed an additional test that you wouldn't have done otherwise. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how this plays out. I'm sure we're going to hear more about this and probably have a session devoted to polling in the future. Yeah, I think that there's, well, and it's really, there's two, um, when you get to the testing and the shortages or difficulties in access to testing, there's really two pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to solve. First, of course, is just the capacity. As I mentioned, how do we take, uh, we're now can run, I think, hundreds of thousands of tests per day in this country. So how do you stretch that as far as possible, knowing that so many people need to get tested? The other piece is the immediacy piece of the puzzle. And so we know from prior work, and this is I've had the privilege of of, uh, interacting with some people recently from from the Rockefeller Foundation, Dr. Shah, who was a leader uh, in helping the response to the Ebola outbreak in, in West Africa, uh, that the, the immediacy of testing is critically important. So they really got out in front of Ebola when they had testing that was rapidly available to identify who was infected. And of course, Ebola is much less transmissible than is SARS-CoV-2. So the other piece of that is to get a test done and to get a result back in four or five days doesn't really help with a lot of those sorts of applications where you're trying to control the viral spread. And clearly there's now more and more industries are saying you need to be cleared with a negative test before you can say get on an airplane. I've heard that there are airports now that you can't go through security unless you have proof of a negative SARS-CoV-2 test. Not in this country, but in others, I think. Um, there's this whole immediacy piece. And so, mm-hmm. of course, getting pooling and some of the things we do to maximize 
the capacity in the in the big central lab labs doing centralized labs like Mayo Clinic labs that are doing lots of PCR won't help with some of those things. I mean, it will if we get our turnaround time down back to where it was at 24 hours or less. But still, that's a, that even that can be a long time to wait if you're say you're waiting in an airport. So I think that's why we're seeing a push at other technologies as well. That's why people are hearing so much in particular about things like antigen testing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, the saying the, that perfection is the enemy of the good might apply to something like antigen, antigen testing, because it may never be as good as our gold standard PCR test, but if you could perform it cheaply, easily, and rapidly, you might actually be able to do more testing and have a faster result, and it might be more clinically actionable. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. What are your thoughts on, on that and antigen yeah, testing I think in general? there's a lot of talk now uh, as we as we try to understand the best way to, to wrestle this pandemic to the ground, if you will, is fit for purpose diagnostic testing, which might be different in a community setting than it would be in a healthcare setting and in, in a tertiary healthcare like center like Mayo Clinic. And so I, I we'll see a lot of this. So you could, to your point, antigen testing might not be something we would ever want to use in a hospital. Uh, to determine if someone has SARS-CoV-2, but that's seriously ill because we'd need something that was much more sensitive and, and really sensitivity more than specificity, but both. You'd want a very high performing test if you're say trying to decide if someone needs to go in an intensive care unit. If you're just trying to screen to see if someone is, you know, has a virus that's asymptomatic that's getting on an airplane, something like an antigen test might be good enough if it's also combined with other protective measures like a mask and temperature screening. So I think what we'll start to see is that testing used in combination with other uh, things like temperature and with other measures such as mask wearing to really help drive down the risk of having someone with the virus exposing others and trying to find that. So it'll challenge all of us, I think, in the testing world because it's just a different way of thinking about using tests. From a leadership perspective, that's where Mayo Clinic Labs, you, uh, myself, others here, and, and others in lab medicine will really want to participate because any single piece is going to have a certain amount of effectiveness. What we really need to do is build an entire integrated system that helps us as a country understand what's the role of these different tests and these different measures in keeping us safe from SARS-CoV-2. Well, I think that's a great point, Bill. It goes back to what we've said multiple times on this podcast series is that as laboratory scientists, leaders in uh, our field, we need to be at the table with the epidemiologists, the patient-facing clinicians, uh, the public health and infection preventionists, and making sure that we're part of the discussions on how we're using these tests. And we need to perhaps think of things a bit differently, maybe not just always look at sensitivity and specificity, but also how the test is being used as you mentioned, it might a test that we may not consider to be perfect may be actually quite suitable in a certain environment, such as screening asymptomatic people when you are pairing that with other preventative measures. And I guess that's another good point is testing is part of this, but it's not the only answer. And keeping our preventative measures up are going to be part of the puzzle as well. So yeah, that's I think that's interesting that's right. thoughts. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Excuse no, me. No, it's all right. No, it's just, it's funny because as you know, I've been, I'm not as, I'm not as Twitter facile as you are yet, but I've been much more <laughs> active in that social media. 
And, I don't uh, know. You're you're definitely giving me a run for my money here. <laughs> you you tweet a lot more than I do. People should be following you. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, that's funny. One of the tweets I got the most attention was not a medical one, but it was a quote of Bear Bryant, the fo legendary football coach of Alabama that I thought was appropriate. I can't find it right now on my phone, but it just struck me as really being quite timely and that it was all about having a plan and the power yes. of having a plan and overcoming something. And in his case, it was more, it was obviously about defeating some an opponent in football. But I think that's really what, what we need. Uh, and I think what we've seen play out here across the country is that we need a plan that really can be applied across the country because we're all interconnected. And however any one part of the country responds, really however one part of the globe responds is gonna drive how the rest of us experience COVID-19 or don't experience it, hopefully. Um, so we need a plan. And we need the other part of a plan is it helps people understand better how their behaviors and what they do fits into a bigger picture. I think if you look at the debate around masks, I think it's just because a lot of people really struggle to say, well, what does my wearing a mask do for me or do for anybody else? And so I think that's one thing that we really need to be willing as laboratorians more than ever before is to help uh, call out with others the need for that plan and then in participating and putting it together because we understand how the diagnostics work um, and what they can and can't do. And I think that's what we have to keep. We have to keep those, those things in mind as we try and help put together something that will help us manage COVID-19, which I think is where we're going to be for the next year or so. Yeah. Yeah, we're in this for the long haul, so we yep. need a good plan, like you said. Well, really nicely said, Bill. Um, as always, great talking to you about this. I'm sure we'll yep. have lots more uh, for quite some time to talk about. Yeah, I think so, for better or worse. And yes. I've, heard, I've heard direct feedback from uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Curtin, that we have a very good rapport on our ah, podcast. So we have that going for us, so hopefully people find it enjoyable. So we'll see. And we're not even talking about parasites yet, although that might be coming. <laughs> I look forward to it. There's been a call even now on, on mainstream media with uh, with KFAN about when are we going to hear from parasite guys? <laughs> well, maybe we'll sprinkle in some parasites in a future posting and, you know, get away from COVID for a day. Yeah, I don't know if I ever would have said I would look forward to the phrase sprinkle in some parasites, but that sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Dr. Maurice. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.